0: Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for March 13th, 2022 is called Sing Across the Table. The speaker is John Ray, and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Good morning glad to everybody here. My name is John Ray, Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Um, this may not sound like an appropriate question to ask in church. Have you ever wanted to slug an old woman? <coughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and not just to any old woman, but like someone who looks like your grandma. Yeah, like I like to think of myself as not a, a, as a violent person with this, but When Jane and I were um, serving in the former Soviet Union in Belarus, uh, it was amazing the cultural reality that you had to get used to there. And of course, everything going on in the Ukraine now has got me looking back through old pictures and contacting friends and and coming up with these memories. But there's this one vivid memory. So on the street, in the former Soviet Union when we were there, it was... Masses of people, because everybody was still using public transportation, right? There was very few private cars that people had. And so subways and, and everything was on a grand scale there in Minsk. And you would shoulder your way through and lines were everywhere to get into a place and do this. And and on the street, even though we had heard all of these this talk about this Belarusian hospitality and how great it was, on the street it was anything but that. I mean, you would get elbowed, and the, the big thing that always caught me off guard is people would walk through these big doors and they would just let them swing behind them. Like you, they would know people were behind, and you know, here in the States, usually, right, we'll hold the door, let the next person get it, go through. None of that there. And I just remember after a, this one day of being just walking everywhere we were going, and I was super tired, and we were going into the subway station and uh, and I just wasn't paying attention and I'd seen this this woman and she she honestly she reminded me of my grandma and I caught a glimpse of her and I'd looked down and I looked up just in time to catch this massive glass door swinging back and I mean I caught it at the last minute because it would have it would have just broken my nose and it, it would have been bad and like right that just kind of visceral anger, and I looked up, and I must have said something. I don't know what I said, but I must have said something loudly because she just looked over my, over her shoulder at me like, whatever. And I mean, it was just, I didn't raise my hand. I didn't chase her. I didn't do anything. But in my heart, it was not good with that. And here's the crazy thing is we, ha- we had all these kinds of experiences like this. But then we got into the house, into the home of the Belarusian people, into the home with our friends. We were invited into their homes. Radically different. I mean, literally the the families would spend a month's worth of food ration coupons because we were there right after the walls came down. There was still food rationing. And they they would make these elaborate meals for us. And they would serve us. And, and as Americans, we were taught, you're taught to clean your p- plate as a sign of respect, right? Well, if you clean your plate there, they would serve you a whole other plate. And, and yeah, and then you're like, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be rude. So you would eat the whole plate and then they would serve you another plate. And you're like, I can't. And they weren't eating like they wouldn't eat until you had had your fill. And what we later learned is you were always supposed to leave a little bit on your plate as signal that that's when they could eat. And so some of these first times, like, yeah, I felt so bad. We were eating all their food, trying to be respectful with this. Anyway, that's just to say that their hospitality, once you got inside the house, was, was just incredible. I mean, they would, they would give you their bed to sleep in. They would serve the best that they had. They would, they would do these things. And it wasn't just because we're American. Like, this was how you did hospitality there with that. And this invitation in is what changed things, and that's what I want to to look at in our text. So this is the the final week that we're looking at table fellowship, and Jesus around the table, and what this means for us. Uh, next week we're going to start into Mark. It's going to be awesome. We're going to take a look, kind of topically in a way. We're going to make our way through the through the book, but we're gonna we're gonna zero in on certain passages, and we're going to make big jumps over others. So it's going to be a unique way of handling the book with that. But this week we're looking at the text, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. And this is how the NET reads. Now that very day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. So they're leaving right after the crucifixion, We'll see. This is three days after the crucifixion. They're leaving Jerusalem. While they were talking and debating these things, Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. When he said to them, what are these matters you are discussing so intently as you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there these days? He said to them, Jesus, that is, what things? The things concerning Jesus and the Nazarene. They replied, a man who with his powerful deeds and words proved to be a prophet of God and all the people and how our chief priest and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is the third day since these things happened. Furthermore, some women in our group amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back and said that they had seen vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but did not see him. So he said, you foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary Christ for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them these things written about himself in all the scripture. So they approached the village where they were going. He acted as though he wanted to to go further, but they urged him, stay with us because it is getting towards evening and the day is almost done. So he went to stay with them. When he had taken his place at the table, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. At this point, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Then he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? So they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together and saying, the Lord really has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when they broke the bread. So a couple of things before I get into my paraphrase here um, with this is, is it's really important that we understand who these people are. So we know that one of them is Cleopas. Now we don't know for absolute certain. Okay, we don't know for absolute certain. So there there are differing uh, voices on this, but there are there is a strong there's strong evidence that this is the same person who is the father of James, not James Jesus brother, but James one of the apostles. It says it somewhere else. And that the other disciple is his wife Mary. There's strong indication that that this is a husband and wife couple who have been following Jesus, maybe because their son was called as one of the disciples, and that they wanted to check this out and make sure what it is, and that they eventually became part of the discipleship band that followed Jesus, that supported him out of his ministry. So these are people who are intimately knowledgeable about Jesus. These weren't fringe actors in a way. But these were people who would be close to the inner circle of Jesus. So I'm, I'm going to make that assumption. Again, my paraphrase is not equal with Scripture. You take it, you leave it. But here is how I paraphrased this passage with this, thinking about it. Now, Cleopas and his wife Mary were making their way back home to Emmaus from Jerusalem, trying to make some sense of all they had seen and had experienced. Along the way, Jesus joined them, but in a way that they didn't recognize it was him. He asked them what they had been talking so intently about before he showed up. This stopped them in their tracks, visibly shaken. Cleopas asked, are you kidding me? Did you have your head in the sand back in Jerusalem? How could you have not heard about Jesus from Nazareth? For real, he was a prophet, proved it time and again, not just by what he said, but but by what the man did, healed and restored people, all people from everywhere. And for that, he got himself crucified, lynched by our own leaders. We bet everything on him. We bet everything on him finally being the one who would set things right. It's been three days now. And just as we were leaving, some of the women in our group were going to fix his body for a proper burial but they came back and said the body was gone and that a bunch of angels, angels, said Jesus was alive. When they said this, the other guys came back and they found the tomb empty. Now Jesus in disguise listened to all this and shook his head. Listen, y'all, do you even read the prophets? Didn't they clearly say the Messiah? The Messiah would have to suffer to bring about the ultimate restoration. And with that, he laid out the story, start to finish, how it all worked and how he himself was the key to the whole thing, although they still didn't know that he was talking about himself. Now, it was getting dark, and they were just about to their Airbnb when Jesus showed no sign of stopping with them. They noticed this and begged him to stay with them instead. When they all gathered around the table for supper, Jesus kicked things off with a toast and served those at the table. As he did, the disguise fell off, and they realized who he was. Crazy thing is, as soon as it happened, he was gone. Well, the couple just fell apart, and they both started talking at once about how all of a sudden it started suddenly to make sense and, and how they felt it before they could understand it. They picked up their bags and as quick as they could, hightailed it back to Jerusalem in the dark and found the disciples. Before they could even say anything, the disciples told them they'd seen him and that Simon had seen him. Once they heard that, Cleopas and Mary told their story. This this story has been told time and time again and with good cause because there is a lot here that speaks to our story. There is much here that is for us in this. And we see that there is a certain revelation that comes in the breaking of bread. There is a certain knowledge that comes from the tangible part of our faith. Not just a head knowledge, not just an epiphany so much, but is a tactile touching of it, an experience of Jesus. And you see, it's not, because it's not just enough to know or even to see, but we must imitate Jesus to. To know Jesus, we have to sit with Jesus where Jesus is in this. And I saw some interesting things as I looked at this, and I've got a bunch of questions. I I, honestly have more questions about this than I have answers. But if we see the progression here, and it's interesting for me as a teacher to see this, and for me as someone who's studied, um, honestly, I saw a lot of my own um, predispositions here. And some of it was pretty convicting. So, so just imagine with me, kind of think about your own faith journey as I talk here. Think about the way that you've come to understand Jesus, or really come to understand anything. It's not just about Jesus, but understand something. Is there, There's this time where we first hear something. We get new information. And especially now in an age where information is everywhere, it's it's almost like there's no information we can't find with it. I love this little app that some twenty year old tech guy is doing that tracks um, Elon Musk flights. Have you seen that? It's like wherever he goes, you can get an app, and it and it just somehow he figured out how to like basically just follow. And Musk like was going to pay him like fifty thousand dollars to. Get it, but that same kid now is doing uh, Russian oligarchs' planes and yachts. It's like you can log on and see wherever their yachts go, right? Like it's like there's information is everywhere, and and honestly, we become very, we become almost addicted to wanting new information. Right? It's like we just want we want to consume more and more information. So that's kind of the first thing here, right? You see, Cleopas and Mary. And they're talking about this, and they're trying to sort things out. And then, and then we get those those moments of revelation. And when we're reading something, or we're listening to someone speak, we're listening to a lecture or a podcast or something, and it's like our the the N E T right. Our hearts burn within us. It's like it's not just it's not just the normal meal. It's like all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this is i got to get the recipe for this. This is awesome. And we get this swelling in our heart with the information. And I have to tell you, this is where I usually stop. This is is where my propensity is. I let this scripture work in me this week. As I kind of put myself in the place of, Cleopas and Mary walking along the road, I could easily have seen myself being quite content to kind of have this experience with this sage who came and revealed these things, and then all of a sudden it was super exciting to have this, because it goes from information to knowledge in a way. It goes from, it goes from just data to all of a sudden, oh, no, I can integrate that data. Like, I can form my story around that. Like, that makes sense to me. That that not only illuminates that data, but it illuminates other data. Like, it reorients. And I got to tell you all, I love that. I loved my years in seminary, where where these moments of revelation were, were pretty constant of getting that. I love it when I study and something like comes here but I tend to sit there. I tend to just stay there with me. And really the third thing, the thing that gave them the real revelation, the thing that gave them the life-changing revelation was when they invited Jesus to the table. Is when they, they didn't stop with just, oh, thank you very much, but no, you come in. I want the source of that revelation, not just the result, but I want the source to come in and sit at the table. And what they were doing, even though it's not explicit in the text, I believe it is implicit is that they were modeling what they had learned all those all that time for however long it was of following Jesus. I believe that they were modeling what they had seen Jesus do. We've talked about how Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat to the disciples, right? You give them something to eat. He had taught those followers, invite in the Samaritan, the tax collector, the prostitute, invite them in. Don't let them just pass by. Don't let them just keep walking. No, you give them something to eat. Jesus gave his disciples something to eat as a way of teaching them and expecting them to go do the same. And so even in this moment of grief, of disorientation that Cleopas and Mary were feeling, the the message had stuck, the training had stuck so that now it was kind of intuitive for them because this wasn't their home. Now we could we could easily pass it off as them just following kind of cultural expectation if it had been their home. But it wasn't their home. They were just staying along the way. So they weren't under obligation at all to provide for this stranger. So we need to set aside that if, if they had gotten to amaze us, if it had been like Mary and Martha's house, then we could say, oh, well, they were just doing what the culture does. They didn't have that cultural expectation. here. They were strangers themselves. And yet somehow they had they had so been ingrained by following Jesus and watching Jesus did, they did what Jesus did. They imitated Jesus. And they invited the stranger in. And that's when they saw it. That's when they really got it. That was kind of this where it goes from not just information and not just kind of revelation, but to in this life changing experience into this thing where, okay, now everything changes with. And I think that might be why it's so hard to take that next step, that final step, is because we're no longer in control. See, the first two steps, I'm still in control. I can control the information, right? Read the websites I want, pick and choose what I want. and And it's me, and I get to decide what I want to do with it or not. Do I want to believe it? Do I want to disbelieve it? Do I want to apply it? Do I want to not apply it? even in the second step. Okay, this makes a lot of sense, but it's me ordering myself. It's kind of me making sense of my world, organizing my world, using this now in in maybe a greater sense of information, but I'm still in control. I can still do, I can still manage it. But when we get to this third step, we realize there's somebody else in the room. (laughs) We realize it's not just about information. It's about a person. There's, there's someone else in the room. And so I'm not necessarily in control anymore. Like it's not, it's no longer me. Now it's we. Now it's us. Now we have to do that. I have to respond to this now as a person. Not a thing. Not information with this. And so... That's scary because we don't want to give up that control. We don't want to do that. It, it demands things from us with that. But that's what it takes to really know Jesus. Is by inviting Jesus in, right? Throughout scripture, we see Jesus saying, I stand at the, I stand at the door and I knock, right? And this is the thing that sets Christianity apart and where Christianity has become so corrupt and we see so much in, <clears throat> in our current church world where all the hurt is taking place is where the church tries to adopt the ways of the world by coercion, by demand, by obligation, by transaction with that, by saying you have to believe this threat or bribe. You have to do this. And what we see continually in the work of Jesus in the person of Jesus is calling and invitation. And then waiting. Jesus will never force himself on us. And this is crazy in our world that runs on that kind of manipulation, right? That just, that, that's how we get things done. Is we we set transactional relationships. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and we punish people for not doing what we want. And, and we pay them for the things that we want them to do. And it can be very soft, or it can be incredibly harsh. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus is continually inviting, offering. It is giving and receiving. And as much as I think we want that, as much as I think we really desire that, we're just not cut out for it. We haven't been trained for that. That's not the way we've been brought up. That's not the way our world works. That's not the way our economy works. We're we're taught and ingrained from the very start. You gotta fight for it. You gotta bargain for it. Right? And if you're if you're a strong leader, if you're an alpha type, you just gotta use your persuasion, whatever it is, to make things happen with that. That's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what we see modeled in Jesus. And the only way we're going to break that pattern is by this inviting Jesus in. Is doing what he said, just like Mary and Cleopas here. We've seen the table set by Jesus. All of us. We've seen the table set. He has set the table for us. And he has said to us, now y'all give them something to eat. So we have to set that table. And this is where it brings me to all these questions, y'all. How do we how do we actually do this? How do we structure this? And I'm I'm asking this as a legitimate question. I I don't know, because we have architected, that's not really a word, or it's not really a verb, um, our, our society and our lives in a way that rejects this kind of vulnerability, this kind of invitation. Our modes of transportation go against it. The way that we do our housing goes against it. The way that we do our schedule and our jobs goes against it. Even the way we do our entertainment goes against it. Like, it's just everything is about us maintaining this control and operating on a transactional nature with everything we do, everywhere we go. So I I don't know, how do we we structure ourselves differently with this? How do we make these necessary changes as individuals, but also as a church, y'all? I mean, we're in this amazing period right now as a church, like like asking these questions. Who are we going to be? What are we going to do? And we have to ask ourselves as a church, how do we do this? Where do we ultimately end up meeting? How do we meet? When do we meet? What do we do when we meet? Because if we keep doing things the way we've always done them, we're going to keep getting the same results. And if we want different results, we're going to have to we're going to have to structure differently. And and y'all, I've got all kinds of ideas, but I don't know. I can't. I'm certainly not. It shouldn't be just my job. It's got to be our job. How are we going to do this? And how do we do this as a society even? Because change is going to happen. It is happening. It always will happen. And how do we use our collective voice in a society outside of the church but in society as a whole, how do we use our voice to say, "Wait, just stop, let's imagine things differently here?" And then maybe the biggest question that I've had this whole thing as I've been thinking about this is I look at I look at all these interactions around the table that we've had. I've gone back and listened to the messages and and I wonder. I wonder how much time the disciples spent listening to Jesus teach compared to how much time they spent actually doing what he said to do and emulating what he said that he was doing. Like when I look at my own discipleship, I look at my own life, and I look at it and I go, how much time am I spending just gathering information, step one, how much of my discipleship time, let's call it that, am I spending gathering information? Am I spent really opening myself up to that? So I get revelation on it. It goes from just information to, okay, this is is stuff that I can use, this stuff that illuminates. And then how much of that time am I spending actually just doing what Jesus said? Inviting in others, going out and being with others, doing those things. And again, this is an incredibly convicting week for me. Because I don't think that ratio is anywhere close to what we see happening here. I think my my ratio spent more much, way, way more on items one and two than item three with that. And so I'm asking myself, how do I how do I how do I do more? Not not in that condemning way, please hear me say this. If you're listening on the podcast here today, don't hear me, don't don't take this as another burden, okay? I don't want this to be another one of those where you, you walk out of church and you're like, oh, I gotta do more. All right. It's not that. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm like, instead how do we shift? It's not necessarily that we do more. We've, we've only got limited resources and time, but it's like, how do we reorient? Ultimately, that's what Lent is about, is this time to reorient, is to process, to ask these kind of questions, and then make changes necessary. That's what I'm talking about, and it should be in a freeing way. It should be in a way that, that brings life. I'm not saying it won't be hard, but it should be in a way that brings life. See, at Grace Church, we believe that showing hospitality the act of inviting someone to belong is an essential element of our individual and collective coming to clearly understand who Jesus is. And we practice this as part of our own becoming more like Jesus. And this, in term form, is formed and is, helps form what we confess we believe. I Jeff and Sean to come back up. Um, You know, obviously, I said it earlier, I've been thinking a lot about stuff going on in the Ukraine and how we can help our friends there and everything going on. Um, And I, I, I thought about how differently I would think about that whole thing if I had never been there. If Jane and I had never gone, if it was just more information coming at me through the TV, how differently I would feel emotionally. I can do it. I can smell those subway shelters where they are. Like I see the pictures and, the, and the, the smell of those places comes back. There's a distinct smell to it. Like I I can feel the furniture. I can feel the fabric on the furniture as I watch the rockets hit those apartment complexes and I, and I think about the the lives that are being destroyed, I can remember the feel of the couches that we slept on. And buildings much like those ones being mine. Like, like it's a different thing when you've experienced it. Um, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's, he's saying, come experience this with me. Come experience what this redemption, this kingdom thing is about. Don't just know about it. Don't just get some revelation about it. But do it. Come experience it. And we practice that each Sunday by coming to the table. We come to the table to taste and see. We come to the table to be reminded that this is tangible. It's not a, we, we don't do communion as fortune cookies. You don't, you don't get another little pithy saying as a way of experiencing Jesus like we do in a, in a fortune cookie. No, we come and we taste it. We eat it. The broken body out blood, the reminder of this very real, tangible thing. Who God is, what God is doing, what God will do. And we take this time to reflect. If there's something that spoke to you today, you need to write it down. You need to think about it. Don't believe me just because I said it. Argue with me. That's great. I love, I'd love for you to bring up questions about this. And then this is where we give our offering too. It's a reminder that all of us have something to give and none of us is without need. So we share. It's a tangible way, right? It's a way of invitation. It's a way of receiving and giving that we do. It's part of our worship. So I invite you all to participate in that. It's open to everybody. The offering, the reflection, the community. It's open to everyone here. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.